the values that lead and guide this church. Um, this is important why we're covering this is because we here at Open Door desire to have a healthy church. But in order to have a healthy church, you got to have a healthy culture. Culture is everything in a church. Culture is, is everything in any corporation or business. Culture is defined as the attitudes, the beliefs, or the values that guide a group of people. It is the attitudes or the beliefs or the values that guide a group of people. So in the, in the context of the church, culture is what you experience when you walk in the church. It's what you experience when you get out of your car. It's what you experience when you walk inside the church doing worship. What are the attitudes of the people when you go in? What, what are the, the attitudes or the beliefs of the people when you engage them and walk in children's church or whatever it is? The culture has to be right. You can have an outstanding vision, but if the culture is wrong, it'll eat it and destroy it. Anybody ever been to a really nice restaurant and the food was really good, but the culture was messed up? <laughs> You went in there and the, and the waitresses had a bad attitude. You went in the bathroom and it was dirty. You could tell that the people didn't believe in having clean bathrooms. How I many you know that you don't have to say anything? Your culture already tells everybody everything they need to know. And so we're trying to work on culture because in order for us to accomplish the vision that God has for this church, the culture has to be right. And so our vision here is simple. If you're new here, our vision here is simple. There's four things really that we're trying to work on. Number one, we need to build community. Somebody say community. 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 We want a place to where believers come and live life together. I was talking about this in one of the new member classes this morning. If you are a Christian, you are not designed to live the Christian life on your own. You can try to, but it's going to be a struggle. You need other people to help you. So one of our visions is to have a church community, not just here locally in Gainesville, but online, on the Internet, all these different spheres to where we plan to build community. Number two, a goal of this church is to make disciples. Somebody say disciples. So our goal here is not just to get you saved, but to get you discipled. How many know there's a difference? You can come to know Christ, but still live a mess. So the goal of discipleship is not just to get you saved, but to also to, to get you mature and grow to be like Christ. Amen. Number three, we want people who passionately love God. So you hear us talk about Jesus a lot. You hear me pumping Jesus, 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 because we need to know what Jesus has done for us so that you can love him the way how he needs to be loved. How many know that when you understand what Jesus has done, your first reaction in worship should be to stand up and give him praise? You shouldn't need a pep rally. You shouldn't need anything. When you understand what God has done, you should passionately love him and get up and serve him. And then number four, we want to be a church that makes his love tangible to everybody else. So it's not just enough to love Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll love everybody else, right? So those are the, the four aspects of our vision. But in order to accomplish the vision, the culture has to be right. Amen. And so we're spending this series trying to develop the right culture here at Open Door. So when people come here, they experience what we're trying to accomplish in our vision. Amen. And so we feel here at Open Door that there's six things that really shape the culture that we're trying to create here. We call six values, and we call these values the Open Door way, the way how we like to conduct church. And these six things are here. Read them with me. We want a culture here at the church, a group of people here at the church who honors God. 
that's the type of culture here. We want people when they walk in that people will automatically say, man, those people really have a respect and an honor for God, that we honor the family as sacred, that we generously give of our three T's, which if you don't know what those are, we'll talk about those later, that we lead with love. Somebody say lead with love. That's important. We're going to get there. That we passionately pursue excellence and that we live to serve. Once we get those, we believe that these six values help generate the culture that we need in order to capture the vision. So we've been spending this month, this, this whole entire month, focusing on that last one. We live to serve. We live to serve because we want people, we want a church where you don't have to nag people to serve. We want a church to where you don't have to force people to serve. You don't have to get up and do cartwheels to get people to serve. We want people who live to serve, who view serving, what does it say? Serving in ministry as an act of worshiping God, not people. You're not serving for people. We serve as an act of worshiping God for the ultimate goal of making his love tangible to others. That's the type of culture that we need here at the church. So in the first message that we dealt with, we talked about from a very practical standpoint, why do we serve in the church? And if you remember, we talked about the main reason why we serve is because Jesus says, that's how you become great in my kingdom. Do y'all remember that? Jesus says, the way how you become great in my kingdom, the greatest ones are the servants. So if you had no other reason than to get off your cooster or rooster or whatever it is and do something to serve God... Cooster, rooster, what is it? <laughs> keister, keister, rooster, y'all know what it is. If you have no other reason, listen, if you're just selfish, then that's a reason to serve. Because God says it's not the people who come and sit who are great, it's the people who serve, right? And so this morning, I want to talk to you about something different. I want to talk to you so we know why we need to serve. We want to be great in the kingdom of God. But I also want to talk to you about why or how do, we, how do we be effective in the service that we do in church? So in other words, God has designed the church to operate in a certain way. And when the church operates in that way, the gifts that God gives a church flourish. But when the church operates in a way that God has not designed, the gifts that he's given don't work right. Amen. So if you want, listen, any church, no matter who you are, whatever church you go to, Whatever church you're in, God has already given it all the gifts it needs to do what he wants the mission to be. But you got to use the gifts that he gives in a way that that works with how he designed them to work. Right. The problem is in the church, many times we're misusing the gifts that God has given. And then we want to take them back to him and say they don't work. For example, my my son, TJ, got a gift uh, a couple years ago for his birthday. And he got, it was a little fighter jet that he had, and he went and he saw it, and he went and he tore it out of the box, and he opened it up, and he just immediately started playing with it. I said, great. He went away, came back an hour later and said, Dad, I don't want this thing. This thing don't work. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I keep throwing it up in the air, but it's not flying, and it don't work. I, said, I looked at it, I said, well, son, I laughed. I said, well, son, you're using that jet for a purpose and a design that the manufacturer didn't create it to do. See, it was one of those little tour jets that you get and you, you, you pull back and then it just races on the ground. It was never designed to fly, right? But he's taking it, throwing it up in the air, telling my dad it don't fly, right? And so I asked him the question. I said, son, did you read the instructions? He said, instructions? No, I didn't read the instructions. I said, aha. Aha. Some of y'all know what I'm getting at. Aha. Aha. 
I said, the reason why you're misusing the gift that was given to you was because you never read the instructions on how it's supposed to work. And in the church, the reason why many of the gifts that God has put here aren't working right is because we've never taken the time to read the instructions to see how they're supposed to work, right? And so today, I want to show you how did God design the church to work, right? So that when we serve, we can serve effectively, right? You and your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. If you got them, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see that God has given the church gifts, but in order for them to work, you got to use them right. Somebody say, you got to use them right. So in Ephesians chapter 4, okay, I want you to look at verse 11. And, and I'm telling you right now, on the screens, the translation is going to be a little different, right? And the reason you're, this translation is in the New Living Translation, and if you don't know anything about translations, it's the same Bible, but they just say it a different way so it's easier to understand, right? So in this translation, it's the New Living Translation in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to notice we're talking about misusing gifts. Notice what it says in verse 11. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the what? Do you see that? Christ has given the church some gifts, and he calls them out. He names them apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Do you see that? So God has given the church some gifts. He calls them pastors, evangelists, so forth. So we're not going to spend any time on the apostles and all that type of stuff. I want to focus on, on pastors and teachers because that's what we have here at the church, right? Did you know that your pastor is a gift? Yes. <laughs> now, this pastor is a gift. This pastor we don't know about. We're still trying to figure out. <laughs> He's definitely a gift. But the Bible says, listen, that God has given the church some gifts. Now, would you agree that when someone creates something, they have a purpose and a design for it? In other words, when they created it, there was something that they wanted them to do. They, they have a purpose or a design. But if you don't use them in the right way, they don't flourish, right? So what is the purpose and the design for the pastor or the gift that he gave the church? What did God design the pastor to do? right? If you want to know, you got to go back to the manufacturer in order to read the instructions, right? So if you look there in verse 12, he tells you what the responsibility or the design of the pastor is to do. Look, notice what it says. It says their responsibility is to what? No, no, read that together. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Do you see that? So the role of the pastor is to equip the people of God. Listen, very important because in the church, many times, many churches has the pastor doing a bunch of stuff that he has no business doing. But amens, that went down. Thank you for that five amens that I received. Uh, many times in the church, the pastor is doing a whole lot of stuff that God never designed him to do. The Bible says the pastor is to equip God's people. What does equip mean? Equip means by dictionary, it means to supply with the necessary items for a particular purpose, to prepare someone for a task, or to give what is needed to do something. 
So the, the design of the pastor, the role of the pastor or the teacher is to be focused on equipping the body or the church. Amen. Now, the question then becomes, how then does God want him to do that? How, how does God or how did God design the pastor to equip the church? That's the next thing we need to answer. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Keep your finger there in Ephesians chapter 4. Turn over to Acts chapter 6. And I want you to see how the early apostles did it. How did they in the early church, when the church first started, how did God use them to equip the body? Because that'll give us some insights on what we should be doing today. If you look there in Acts chapter 6, and I'm just going to paraphrase some of this for the sake of time. In Acts chapter 6, we have a scenario in verse 1. It says that the church is growing. It's multiplying. The disciples are growing. And as the church is growing, they begin to have a problem. The Bible says in, in verse 2 or so that as the church is growing, that the problem occurs to where some people ain't getting their food. The Bible says that the daily distribution or administration of food, one being applied equally, that, that the Grecian Christians or the Greek people who had recently got saved, want, the Greek widows weren't getting the same amount of food that the, the Jewish ones were getting. So I, I don't know if there was some prejudice going on. I don't know if, if some kind of way the Jewish people were getting more food or whatever the scenario was. But the Bible says that they began to become a complaint and people started to mumble and grumble and complain. Why were they mumbling, grumbling, complaining? It was because something in the church wasn't getting done. Watch this. And what do you do when something in the church isn't getting done? Who do you bring that to? Oh, come on. The amens that went down. Every time there's a problem, who does it normally come to? The pastor. And so what they did was, you see in verse 2 and verse 3, that they bring this problem to the apostles. And in, in verse 2, notice what the apostle says. They say, it is not reason, if your translation says it, it says it's not reason or that word means pleasing to God that we should leave the word of God or focusing on the word of God to serve tables. Does anybody see that there? So in other words, they're saying we're supposed to be doing this. It's not pleasing to God if we leave this to start doing this. Why? Because if we start doing this, then we're not focusing on right? In other words, listen, he's not saying that that making sure that people get the food isn't a worthy thing. They're not saying that, you know what, that's not important. They're just saying this isn't necessarily what I'm supposed to be doing. Does anybody see that? And so what they do there in verse 3, it says that they chose out seven men in the city and said, we're going to appoint some people in the church to deal with this. And guess what we're going to do? He tells you how they were going to focus on equipping the church. Look there in verse 4. It says, we're not going to focus ourselves on these things. We're going to focus on continual prayer and the ministry or the teaching of the word of God. Does anybody see that? So in the early church, what the apostles focused on, the way how they were focused on equipping the church was on continual prayer for the church and equipping the church with the ministry of the word of God. So in other words, the role of the pastor or the teacher is not necessarily to attend every meeting. Boy, I knew the amens was going to go down on this. It, 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 the role of the pastor or the teacher is not to switch the light bulbs. It's not to cut the lawn. I'm not saying that's not important. 
But how many of you know that, that everybody has a lane? Everybody has something that they're supposed to be doing, right? And, and the apostle says, our role is to focus, and I'm, I'm going to get to this in the reason, because there's a reason for this. Our role is to focus on the ministry of the word and praying for you all, right? So, so, so sometimes I get people coming at me complaining about stuff that needs to be done when you're supposed to be doing it. Right. The, the role of the, the listen, the way how God designed it was that the pastor or the teacher focuses on the administration of the word and through prayer, but not on all the other things. So the question then becomes, if the pastor is supposed to be focusing on prayer and on teaching the word, how does all the other stuff in the church get done? Right. I mean, there's plenty of stuff in the church that needs to get done. I thought the pastor was supposed to do it. How many of you know in many churches, that's the way it is? Whenever anything needs to get done, I call the. I remember growing up with my daddy. I joke would be down here switching light bulbs, and I say, man, what you doing? At every prayer meeting, at every Bible study, at everything. And, and we had a really good team here, so I'm, I'm not putting anything down. But how many know that we all have our lane, and we got to stay in our lane, right? And so if that's the role of the pastor, who does all the other stuff? I'm glad you asked. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm glad you asked. Listen, we came to figure out what is God's design. Ephesians chapter 4, notice what it says. Remember, the role of the pastor is to equip the body. It's to give the body what it needs. Who does the other stuff? Notice what it says there. It says that the, the uh, go back there in verse 12. It says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do what? Wait a minute. Y'all ain't saying nothing back to me. The role of the pastor is to equip the body to do what? His work and what? Uh-oh. Boy, I know nobody was going like that. Wait a minute. So the pastor's role is to equip the body to actually do the So wait a minute, that means the pastor is not supposed to do all the work, but he's supposed to help equip the people to do the work. Now, let, I know that may not make sense, but there's many practical reasons for that, right? One of the first practical reasons is as a church grows, there is literally no way the pastor can meet all the needs of the people. Let's just think about that from a practical standpoint. As your church body grows, there is no way your pastor can meet all the needs of the people. Watch this. That's one of the reasons why we have small groups. Do you know why? It's because the pastor spends time with the small group leaders who then spend time with the people who come to the small groups. Right? Because I don't know how many pastors you may have at your church, but the issue is they can't meet all the needs of everybody. Right? Listen, that's what got Moses in trouble. Y'all remember what happened to Moses? Uh, turn in your Bible. Put, put your finger there. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. This, this was the exact problem that Moses had. He was the, the so-called leader of the church, and they had him doing everything. And, and I'm just kind of catching you up to speed. But the Bible says that, that Moses' wife's father came. Y'all remember him, Jethro? And he came to visit Moses, and in Exodus chapter 18, he saw everything that Moses was doing. 
So, so what Moses was doing was from the time he woke up to the time he went to bed, he was basically judging having all the people come to him. Look there in about verse 13. It says, and so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people came to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said unto him, what? The thing you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you, what? Will surely wear yourselves out for this thing is too much for you you are not able to perform it by your, you see that? It, the, the, the church as it grows is too much for one person to deal with. In fact, if you do a little research, and I did, pastors are, people who try to do this are the main ones who are leaving and retiring from ministry. Because it's too much, it's too stressful. I read reports to where thousands of pastors are leaving the ministry every month. I thought that was a little high, so I went with a better one, LifeWave Ministries, a Christian ministry. They had a poll out, and they estimated that 250 pastors are leaving the ministry every month. Think about that. 250 pastors, churches, are shutting down every month. Why? It says 84% say they're on call 24 hours a day. 80% expect conflict in their church. 54% find the role of the pastor frequently overwhelming. 53% are concerned about their family's financial security. 48% often feel the demands of ministry are more than they can handle. And 21% say their church has unrealistic expectations of them. So it's too much for the person, one person to deal with, right? But then number two, listen, God has not designed the pastor or the system to function that way. Listen, no matter how charismatic the pastor is no I don't care how gifted he is he can't leave he can't he cannot um what what did it say he cannot equip the body and edify the body on him by his own himself he can't do it and the reason why is God has not gifted him to do it ministry listen if this church is going to accomplish what God wants us to do it's a team effort listen to what I'm saying it's not about pastor Tim it's about open door You know why I can say that? It's because I can tell you with absolute certainty, God has not given me the gifts to help all y'all. I I thought I would have got one amen or two amen. God has not given me the gifts to help everybody. The gifts are throughout the church. Let me prove it to you. Turn in your Bibles. Put your finger there. Turn into your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to notice, listen, I don't care who the church is, what the church is. It's not about the man who preaching. It's about everybody in the church working together. Right? Because the, the pastor is only one person, right? And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 something very important about your pastor. Listen, it says in, in, in verse 4, 
Number one, that the pastor is not the only gift that God has given to the church. Do you see that? Look in verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look there in verse 4. It says that God has given the church many gifts. There are many different gifts. There are many different varieties of gifts. Your pastor, listen, the pastor is not the only gift that God has given to the church. And can I say the pastor is not the only gifted one in church. Sometimes it's easy to think that the person is the one who has all the gifted. No, 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 no. He's not the only gifted one. In fact, the Bible says, who else has those gifts? Look in verse 7. The Bible says a spiritual gift is given to Every man, or in the New Leaven translation, it says a spiritual gift is given to each of us, right? So it's not about the pastor. It's not about how gifted the pastor is. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm gifted. You've been given a spiritual gift. Listen, listen, don't miss this. If you are saved, God has given you a spiritual gift. Watch this. And why did he give you the spiritual gift? Wait a minute. Let's read that. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can. Wait a minute. So that means the pastor is not the only one who's supposed to be helping somebody. That you've been gifted and you're going to be held accountable for whether or not you're helping somebody. See, but you know what the problem is? Everybody only focuses in on the pastor's gift, and that's why there's no movement. Because, watch this, the Bible says in in verse 8 there, you'll notice when you read like verses 8 through 10, it says that everybody only has one gift. Do you see that? It says, to one he gives this, to another he gives this, he gives them one gift. Watch this. But he gave various gifts in order to help everybody. So that means one gift can't help everybody. Does anybody see that? If if one gift could help everybody, then he only needed one gift. But the Bible says that he gave many gifts, right? And he gave each and every one of us in here a different gift. And therefore, all the gifts have to work together in order for everybody to be helped. Come on, somebody. Does that make sense? Listen, so if you're here in this ministry, you have a gift that is designed to help somebody. Are you using it? No, no, no. You didn't hear me. I said, if you're here in this ministry, you have a gift that is designed to help somebody. But are you using it? Because when you don't use your gift, people don't get help. And whose responsibility is that? It's our responsibility, right? So ministry is a team effort that we all have to work together. Now, the question then becomes, and let me just close with this. Why does God want the pastor focusing in on the word and everybody else focusing in on everybody else? Look there in your scripture. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. There is a reason, and I'm closing with this. There's a reason why God wants the pastor focusing in on the word and prayer and not on everything else. Look there in your verse, in verse 13. He tells you, I don't want the pastors focusing on all this stuff. Why? So that there can be unity of the faith. Do you see that? 
Watch this. He says, the pastors need to be focused on making sure that the, everybody is unified in their faith. Do you see that? In other words, somebody has to be responsible for making sure that we all believe the same things. Do you know why I spent all that time going to school and still going to school and going to school seems like I'm never going to get out? It's because somebody has to be the one in there learning to make sure that we all know what's going on. How many of you know that making sure that people know what they're talking about is important? Um, when I'm closing on a contract, I get disturbed if my attorney is too preoccupied, distracted, dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff. You know why? Because I need to make sure that that contract that he handling is done correctly. Right. And I don't want you distracted and forget a form or forget whatever needs to be done. I need to make sure that everything is right. Right. So God says that I want my pastors focused on making sure that one, everybody is unified in the faith. Number two, notice what it says, so that the body has a knowledge of the son of God. Do you see that? Stop having your pastors be so busy doing everything else and they not spending time making sure they know who the knowledge of the son of God is. Somebody has to be responsible to make sure this body knows who Jesus is. Amen, Amen somebody. Listen, I know sometimes y'all may get a little frustrated with me always talking about Jesus, 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 Jesus. But I mean, you know, that's my job. It is my responsibility, and I take it very serious, is to make sure that we know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and that Jesus is the only way. Right? That's my responsibility. But when you got me out there cutting the lawn, when, when you got the pastor changing light bulbs and leading every group, it's not that that's not important, but you're taking the person away from what they're supposed to be doing. What else? He says, so that the body can become perfect or mature who don't behave like children. That, that's, the, that's why God says the pastor is supposed to be making sure that people are growing. Listen, and I'm going to say this again. That's why you keep hearing me encourage you to come to small group. And listen, I know some of y'all don't want to come to small group, but I'm going to tell you again, small group is where the, listen, small groups are not just about the content that you're learning. It's about building relationships. Hear what I'm telling you. See, people get frustrated when they go through stuff and then they expect something from the church, but they don't ever do anything with the church. Um, nobody really called me from the church, but you don't socialize with anybody at the church. You don't know anybody at the church. So when you're going through something in your marriage, how somebody felt like coming to talk to you about your marriage and I don't even hardly know anything about you? Right. That, that's kind of a personal situation. You don't talk to somebody about something going on with you unless you got some type of relationship with them. Remember this. I'm going to talk about this next semester when we start up again. Remember, remember what I'm telling you. The Bible says we confess our sins to God. We confess our faults to one another. James 5 says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. 
the healing process doesn't just take place here on Sunday. The healing process comes through talking to other people who've gone through similar things, and they can encourage you in your faith. Listen, the reason why some of y'all not growing, listen, is because you've isolated yourself to your own little clan and clique. And can I tell you something? You believe you're more spiritual than you are. I know, I know you may not like that, but I'm, I'm in the pastor role right now, so just, just blame it. The Holy Ghost talking to you, just, just blame it on that way. Listen, you think you're more spiritual than you are. Remember, even, even in your small group lesson, it may not necessarily be for you. See, sometimes we get selfish because sometimes it's not for you to impart or to be imparted into, but it's for you to impart into somebody else. Right. And so the way we grow is not just in a 45 minute on Sunday. I'm telling you, if you married and you're not in a marriage small group, it's just a matter of time. Look at your name. It's just a matter of time. I see it over and over again. Eventually, you're going to run into some problems. You can be as anointed as um, as. Um, I'm looking around to pick on somebody. You, you could be anointed as, as uh, um, Nathaniel and uh, Barbara Jones up over there. You know, you come in and every day is just smelling roses and, oh, you know, everything is so good. But how I many you know that you could be married as long as they have and still run into some problems? It, it doesn't matter how long it is. Watch this. And the glory of it is that those who have been married the longest are best equipped to help teach some of those who just got married. Listen, that's what discipleship is all about. Right? But the problem is sometimes we get so focused on pointing out what people don't have rather than helping them. Let me, let me move on. I got to close. I got to close. What else does he say? He says so that, so that believers don't follow every wind of doctrine. The pastors oversee that. But notice what it says in verse 15. The pastor is supposed to speak the truth in what? Now, if, as I get ready to close, that's more important than anything is you can have the truth, but if you don't speak it in love, how many know that people won't receive it? Sometimes you may not understand when I say something, say, about homosexuality, and I, and, and I almost try to make it seem like homo, some people say, well, you make homosexuality seem like it's not as bad. But the truth of the matter is, is that all sin is bad, Right? And, and here's the thing. I, I try to think of it as if, if I was a homosexual, how would I want somebody to talk to me? In other words, I don't need you to stand up here and talk down to me as though some kind of way you're better than me. Right? Because it, it's, not, it's not that I'm undermining the sin. It's that we already got a judge. I'm not your judge. If, if you've been divorced, you don't need somebody standing up standing up to you, talking down to you like you some bad and some kind of way. I'm, I'm not your judge. What a person needs is love. I mean, you, you tell the truth. You tell the truth, but you got to do it in love. And part of my encouragement in the small groups, these young people, these young girls, beautiful young girls, let me tell you something. How many know that the way you talk to them 
determines whether or not they're going to listen to you. I remember my daddy used to come to me with that self-righteous, condemning tone. I'm Pastor Sam Jones, and I've never made a mistake in the world. And you need to stop listening to that music because I'm super spiritual and I know everything. How many know you're not listening to that? But can I encourage you? Because here's the thing. All of these children are our children. All of them. Watch this. And John may not be able to get to Jahari, but maybe Daryl can. Crystal obviously would listen to me probably before Cynthia. And so it's a team thing, right? And, and in the process of small groups, you get it. Listen, I'm closing with this because I know i got to close. I'm watching my time. Notice what happens when we function as a church as God designed it. Look there in verse 16. Let's read that together. Have you, Andre, can you take me back there? Let's read this together. Notice what happens. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Watch this. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. What happens? So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. But watch this. That happens as each part of the body is doing what it's supposed to do. Watch this. So if, if Sunday school, te- if you're sitting here and you're supposed to be a Sunday school teacher, but you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you're cutting off the body so that every joint ain't supplying. If you're supposed to be leading or part of a small group and you're staying home watching Days of Our Lives and, 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 and Bobby Brown and the new edition, what is it? The have and the have nots and. Come on now. What's that show? Bobby Brown on new, the new edition story and, and all that. I mean, you know, you watch whatever you want to watch. That's between you and God. But what I'm saying is somebody has to be about the king's business. And here what I'm encouraging you is that you can spend your whole entire life serving everybody else and not serving the God that you say you love. You can spend your whole entire life working, doing everything for everybody else, die and go to heaven and have nothing. Right? Or you can make the decision to start making some wise decisions. Listen, remember this. The, the power of the cross is you may say something that changes somebody's life forever. Watch this. And when you change that young person's life, all the good that comes out of it, you get some credit for. Y'all, y'all ever remember like Amway or whatever those things were and how you used to sponsor somebody and you get a little bit of everybody, what everybody else do or however that system worked? Listen, in, in the same way with Christ, everything that you do to bless somebody else, you receive a reward for that. Watch this. And you don't got to be the pastor to be rich because we all can invest in each other and change lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, let's close. Father, 
Thank you for this opportunity to come. Thank you for the way how you designed it. Because the way you designed it, it's not one person centric. Everybody has a part to play in it, right? Everybody can be rich. Everybody has a part in helping the church grow. Ministry is a teamwork thing. And if we're going to reach these young people, it's not. Rethia and Andre, they do a phenomenal job. Phenomenal. Listen, if y'all, if you don't know, 